is For Me Podcast. In this podcast, we're back with Joan Rimmer, reading Viking Village, the story of Formby, published in 1973 by Edith Kelly and the Formby Civic Society. Viking Village by Edith Kelly, Chapter 11, The Flora of Formby. Formby has a high proportion of bird watchers, plant collectors, entomologists and nature lovers, both amateur and professional. This has long been so. Among the merchants and businessmen who came to settle in Formby after the building of the railway were many who found pleasure and relaxation in exploring and studying the countryside around and in recording their finds in various ways. Some of us remember Mr Tyra of Crosby, the Mrs Reed who lived in Duke Street and others who contributed in the 1800s to the knowledge we have in the 1900s. Some of Mr Tyra's glass slides are still being shown and the plant lists meticulously compiled by botanically minded ladies of the 1880s were used in serious publications. The Liverpool Naturalist Field Club was founded in 1860 and much of the club's field work was done in our own district. We in Formby are exceedingly fortunate in having such a rich variety of plant life on our doorstep. Nearly 400 species of flowering plants have been identified in the area. Alas, much of it has been lost, damaged or decreased during the last 20 years and the inevitable further growth of the town means still further encroachment on the countryside around us. Where streams trickle through watercress beds, they now flow through concrete pipes. Where frogs swarm by the thousand to breed in the pools, the hollows are now empty and dried out. And the cowslips that grew in the fields have long been picked to extinction. The royal fern, once growing in profusion all around Formby, is now seen only in cottage gardens and in a few, a very few places out on the moss. One could multiply these sad examples. On the other hand, some plants which were recorded as rare by our grandparents are now very common. To quote from an article entitled Among the Sandhills near Southport in the Pall Mall Gazette of 1880, it says, as we leave the sandhills for the pasture land, we can see a rare flower, the wild Enothera, or evening primrose, which originally came from North America. Ninety years later, the evening primrose is one of the commonest and most flourishing of our Juneland plants, and its sulphur-coloured flowers open by the thousand along the shore road to Southport. Rose Bay Willowherb is another of the prosperous newcomers to the district. It flames bright pink among the pine woods, brightens large patches of the sand hills, and has made itself thoroughly at home in this country in which it was once described as an uncommon but beautiful visitor. As we walk inland from the sandy shore of Formby, we pass through a variety of habitats, each of which bears its own type of vegetation. Among the rubbish collected at high tide mark, a few plants of the mauve-flowered sea rocket appear in sprawling clumps. A little further back, the loose dry sand is the, sound, is the sand couch grass can survive in spite of the salt water which immerses it at high tides. This grass has an important part to play, 
for little mounds of sand pile up in the lee of the grass tufts and the growth of the dunes begins. There is not much of the sea couch grass on the shore at Formby, but the blowing sand has been arrested by little piles of rubbish, dead tree trunks or seaweed left by the tide. Sand blowing off the shore builds up on the inland side of these obstructions and the marram grass sends its roots deep down into the resulting dunes. The marram grows thicker and we walk inland from the mobile dunes to the chain of fixed dunes which have been held and bound by the marram roots. Here other grasses can grow, mainly red fescue grass with Portland spurge, hound's tongue, yellow stone crop and coarse docks. Other plants found in this area are dog violet, dewberry, sand sedge, bird's foot trefoil and rest harrow, these last being particularly attractive. Fleabane and a North American flower Claytonia also occur in this zone. Thickets of sea buckthorn give shelter and food to large numbers of birds and much pleasure to the passerby for their bright orange berries cluster thickly among the grey-green leaves whose undersides are silvery. Sea buckthorn is really a native of the east coast of England. It was deliberately planted by previous landowners as an experiment in sand stabilisation and now forms dense prickly thickets. Sea holly has disappeared from some of the sites on which it used to grow but has become plentiful along the coastal road. To the naturalist who has come here from the south or midlands, it is pure joy to find for the first time plants and flowers seen hitherto only in botany book illustrations. The slacks have a type of vegetation all their own. The largest, Massam slack, is entirely artificial. On the Auden survey map of 1848, the dunes on the inner side of the present slack were the outer dunes running along the coastline. Brushwood fences erected along the beach in the 1870s trapped the blown sand and caused it to build up, leaving a valley between the coastal dunes and the newly formed range of sand hills. Marum grass and then other plants colonised them and the enclosed beach between became filled with fresh water. During the summer, the slack dries out, but in winter, the water lies above the surface. A rich diversity of plants is able to live in Massam slack, for as each generation of plants dies, its remains form humus in which the following generation thrives. In their season, you may find rushes and sedges, marsh horsetail and reed mace, water plantain, water crowfoot, water dropwort, marsh marigold, yellow flag, lady smock, early marsh orchid, marsh helleborine, burr reed, water mint, marsh pennywort and the handsome purple loosestrife. At the edges of the slack, where the soil is less damp, the grey-green creeping willow grows. Farther in, where the slack is always damp and is often covered by water, the bog bean grows. For many people, this is their first sight of bog bean, for it is highly localised and is becoming rare. At one time, 
Its clover-like leaves and fringed white-petaled flowers were seen along the drainage ditches on the golf links. But the ditches were drained and cleared and the bog bean has almost disappeared there. Of late years, there has been a drying out of the slacks and the whole coastal area is drier than it used to be. This is almost certainly due in part to the laying of pipes and sewers and the general draining of the whole district. The inner edge of Massam Slack, the original coastline, rises in well-stabilised dunes on which wind-blown pine trees grow among the buckthorn and dewberries. Rabbit-bitten turf holds a wealth of flowers which like a limey soil. Over the years, the slow decay of fragments of seashells in the sand has enriched it with lime and humus has gradually begun to build up as vegetation dies and grows again. There is a wonderful variety of plant life to be found in the sand dunes. You may stand with one foot among the typical dune vegetation and the other foot in the edge of a slack. Kidney vetch, pink centauri, yellow wort, carline thistle, fingered saxifrage and eyebright together with mouse ear hawkweed are within feet of such moisture loving plants as grass of Parnassus, round leaved wintergreen, marsh helleborine and early marsh orchid. Occasionally a bee orchid may be found and pyramid orchids are not rare. Nevertheless, when we realise that it takes seven years for an orchid seed to grow and produce a flower, we can understand why it is so important that these flowers should never be picked. All among the flowers, both in the slacks and on the dunes, is the silver grey creeping willow, which flourishes whether it is damp or is smothered by sand. In the latter case, it puts forth fresh shoots and flourishes anew. Several varieties of pine have been planted by various landowners in an effort to stabilise the dunes and to protect the coastline, but the trees were often planted too thickly for good husbandry. Overcrowding of trees on this soil results in thin trunks with poor crowns and a weak growth generally. Such trees are particularly susceptible to attack by insect pests, especially a beetle which burrows under the bark. On the exposed edges of pine woods, strong winds and the constant bombardment by sand particles have still further weakened the trees and their trunks lie dead and bleached on the seaward side of every strand of, of tree beaten by the harsh conditions. Thinning of trees was carried out by both the National Trust and the Nature Conservancy and although there was criticism at the time, more informed people realised that this was very necessary for the healthy development of the remaining trees. In the pine woods can be seen many Corsican pines, but there are also areas of Scots, Maritime, Austrian and Lodgepole pines. Here and there are small areas of deciduous trees, alder, sycamore, willow and the birch, which is probably the only species native to the dunes. Little grows beneath the trees in the pine woods themselves, for the soil is poor and deeply shaded, and the only plants that like these conditions are the helleborines, which grow in scattered spikes among the pine needles. The two varieties of helleborine are both rare, 
the June Helleborine and the Pendulous Helleborine, whose greeny-white flowers hang down instead of standing out from the stem. They both flower during June and July. In the open spaces between the trees, all the common wildflowers appear. Harebells, wild rose, tormentil, yellow bedstraw, milkwort and grasses that include coxfoot, Yorkshire fog, creeping bent, sweet vernal grass, Cresty's dog's tail and ryegrass. All these and many more. Where there have been asparagus fields in the past, the covering of vegetation is thin and the presence of sheep's sorrel, short and often crimson-leaved, indicates that the lime has been leached out of the soil. In spring, and more abundantly in autumn, numerous fungi appear in the woods. Stalked puffballs come early and some, like ink caps and russules, make a brief appearance in the spring and a more abundant growth in the autumn. The total list of fungi found in the district is long. Some varieties scarcely seen before suddenly appear in profusion, like the bright orange cup fungus that looked like a long line of orange peel lining the sides of Leaf Lifeboat Road in the 1950s. For a day or two, it was quite a spectacular sight, but has scarcely been seen since. The earth star is a fungus that excites particular interest. One variety, which starts as a pale brown globe, splits on ripening so that it looks like a little brown ball balanced on four or five ragged brown legs which straddle a wrinkled saucer. A mass of purplish spores escapes from the ball. Dozens of these earth stars must be carried to local schools each year to be put on the nature table in the classroom. They are found almost exclusively at the edge of pine woods, so most children would never see them except on trips to the Formby woods. All over Formby, the many varieties of willow and poplar grow well for water is never very far below the dry seeming soil. Of particular interest is the balsam poplar or balm of Gilead tree, not a British native tree, but one which having been introduced has made itself at home along the sandy coast. It spreads by suckers and when covered by loose damp sand, it throws out roots which grow rapidly. The aromatic scent of balsam poplar after rain is delicious, especially in spring when the bronze leaf bracts are sticky and strongly scented. Unfortunately for the tree, it is attractive to goat moths whose caterpillars tunnel in the branches and destroy the wood. The first sight of a goat moth caterpillar can be horrifying to those who don't like crawlies of any sort, for it can be up to three and a half inches long when full fed and is of a pinky mahogany colour. In fact, it can at first glance look like a lost finger. The field on which St Anne's Church was built in Tim's Lane used to be covered with gorse and tall heather and edged with harebells and bird's foot trefoil. Kenton Close stands on what used to be a heathery field and a little of its heather remains around the perimeter of St George's School. It is on the golf course too, but the largest unspoiled heathery area is that near the railway line at the end of Montague Road, 
where it forms a rose purple carpet in August. Hairgrass and heathrush, broom, gorse and tormental. The usual plants to be found on the sandy heath are there, but housing estates keep encroaching on the fields and one after another the local plants are being lost to us. The beds of golden fleabane are gone from the lane near Hogshill Farm. The large purple crane's bill no longer grows in clumps along Broad Lane, which used also to be a grand place for blackberrying. In a field near the Cheshire Lines Railway, the butterfly orchid grew until the 1960s, with corn marigolds nearby and beds of tall yellow loosestrife growing wild in a wide ditch near the level crossing. A little bog myrtle remains here and there on the moss, and Fifield Pea, a rarity in Lancashire, grows in a few places around Formby. A damp slack on the seaward side of Cabin Hill Farm provides a home for the delicately veined grass of Parnassus. Formby can even boast a subspecies confined to the Lancashire coast, which throws up more stems than the usual variety. Among the foreign plants which have been introduced into Britain, the pink-flowered balsam or policeman's helmet is one of the largest and masses of it flowers along the alt along both banks. Kalinsoga or gallant soldier is a more recent foreigner and has nothing to recommend it for the flowers are tiny and white and the leaves are coarse. It is appearing along the railway line and in gardens and it is very common weed of the potato fields on the continent so it is surprising that it has not appeared over here earlier. An even later comer is the equally unattractive Sykes-Beckia cordifolia. It hasn't yet acquired a common name, which appears in gardens around the centre of Formby and has tiny yellow flowers on a coarse-leaved tall plant. Odd finds occur unexpectedly and botanists have fun finding out their names and origins. A strange straw-coloured plant was found on an allotment in 1971. It was Oro Minor, common broom rape, which, like yellow rattle, is a parasite on the roots of other plants. But whereas yellow rattle takes the sap from grass roots, this attaches itself to vetches and clovers. The fragrant orchid is occasionally found in the district. And it is said that once, in 1955, a specimen of the rare lizard orchid was found by a schoolgirl who in included it in her collection of wildflowers for the Formby show. This sort of discovery is most unlikely ever to occur again. Formby Podcast is an independent production. To email us, Email us on formipodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram as Absolute Formby. Follow us there. <laughs>